Hey everybody, I'm Shayna, and you're listening to Real Twisted Sisters. Please be aware that we cover twisted and oftentimes very disturbing true crime cases. Be advised, these episodes may be triggering to some. Well, here we are, folks. January 21st of 2022. It has been a rough start to the year so far. Um, I'm sorry. I had I had to take a couple weeks off there. I wasn't able to get in any extra time to do anything. Um, my creative juices weren't flowing like I would like them to, and that happens every year when it gets to be tax time. I spend far too much time in front of the computer looking at tax forms, and I start to get a little bit stir-crazy, so I decided, you know what? It's time to dive into some true crime cases and see if anything strikes my fancy. And sure enough, I came across this gem of a story. Um, Do hold on to your pants for this one. It is a bit intense. Trigger warning again. Uh, As the title says, this is a case of familicide. Um, I don't, I always feel like I'm saying that word wrong, familicide. It's probably just because I don't use it very often. If you don't know what that is, uh, familicide is the murder or murder-suicide in which a person kills multiple close family members within a small amount of time. So, you know, with saying that, this case does involve young children, brutal murder, gore, all that fun stuff. So, if you're not into that, again, I would suggest you find another podcast to listen to. So let's go ahead and get started. We are going to go back to 1991. Nope, that is not right. We are going to go back to 1999. I don't know why I said 91, but... So we're going back to 1999 to a culturally diverse community outside of Los Angeles known as Roland Heights. 19-year-old Neil Williams was a resident of the community at the time. Neil had one sibling, a sister, and was raised by his single mother, Jan Williams. The family was very close. Um, Neil and his mother especially were really close. They had very similar personalities, and they were a lot alike. They shared many interests. They just, they had a strong bond. Now, Neil was a quiet, kind type, but would also like to tease and joke around with the ones closest to him. You know, once you got to know him, he would open up to you. He was a jokester. Uh, He was genuinely welcoming and willing to help out a friend in need. Uh, One day in 1999, a co-worker of Neil's talked him into going out to a showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And, you know, like I said, Neil was, you know, sort of a quiet guy, sort of more of a homebody. But that night he decided, what the hell... It's not going to hurt to go out. I'm going to go out with my friends and check out the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, this is when Neil met Man Ling Sang. Man Ling, also known as Ling, I will refer to her as both Man Ling and Ling throughout the story. So just so you don't get confused, that's the same person. Um, Ling was also 19 years old at the time. And right away, they just seemed to be very much intensely and equally attracted to one another. Sparks flew, and a relationship quickly blossomed between Neil and Ling. Of course, with Neil being so close to his mother, they would often talk about the new romance. Neil was over the moon and told his mom how happy he was to finally be in a serious relationship. 
he really just felt good having someone that he could go through life with and talk to about everything. And they were, you know, they were a great couple. They were able to open up about everything, all their concerns, um, worries in life, their successions in life. It was going really well. Now, Man Ling's family was originally from Taiwan, but Ling was born in the States. Ling's childhood was a bit of a struggle. Her parents weren't very affectionate, I guess would be a good word for it. They were very verbally abusive to Ling, um, oftentimes letting her know that she really wasn't wanted in the family. She was a mistake. You know, not real great things for a child to hear growing up, but it sort of gave Ling a really, really tough skin, and she grew up to be a really strong woman. Growing up, though, Ling also struggled in school and was diagnosed with a few learning disabilities. Although the two, Ling and Neil, had a few cultural differences because Ling's family was from Taiwan, they were doing really good at making everything work, and their relationship seemed to be, you know, getting off on the right foot. In July of 2000, Neil and Ling gave birth to their first son, Devin. Their relationship, as you can see, they met in 1999, now in 2000, they're already giving birth to their first son. Their relationship was moving very fast. Ling's family members weren't extremely thrilled about how quickly everything was happening, but they put their trust in their daughter, letting her do her own thing. After the birth of their first son, Devin, the couple got married and moved into a small condo they rented from Neil's mother. In 2003, the couple gave birth to their second son, Ian. They now lived in a quaint little community in Roland Heights with their two children. They were known in the community and were very close friends to their neighbors, Melanie and Mario Ramirez. Often sharing conversations over dinner and drinks, the two couples became, became almost like extended family, leaning on each other for support and treating one another as confidants. The Williamses seemed to have a perfect relationship, Ian and Devin were happy, healthy, and very loving siblings. They learned a lot from one another. Now, I said earlier that I was inspired by this case. I actually saw this on a show called American Monsters. I don't know. I think it's on a lot of things. I watched it on Discovery Plus, but they had an episode on this case. And in the episode, they actually show home videos of the Williams family uh, when the boys are young, they have all these videos of them, you know, just doing normal things. We'll get into a little bit later, but if you are interested in checking out that American Monsters episode, I believe, I want to say it's in season two. I'm not sure exactly what episode it is, but shoot me a message. I'll dig into it and find out if you want to watch that episode. But you can see in those videos, like I said, that they are very loving family. Manling and Neil were loving parents who seemed to understand the importance of good parenting and putting the needs of their children above all. They also seemed to be very much in love and very comfortable around one another. In the home videos, the Williamses come off as a completely ordinary family, celebrating birthdays and holidays, horse playing around in the house, playing t-ball out in the yard. The home seemed to be well-kept and being parents seemed to suit Ling and Neil very well. It was, you know, almost watching the videos, you could tell that it was sort of a natural thing for them. Ling seemed to take on that mother role very, very well. However, after a while, they realized that putting the needs of their children first was a bit of a struggle. You see, raising children is not exactly cheap, and Ling and Neil weren't bringing in buckets of cash each day. Both Ling and Neil were working to help support their family, 
but their wages just weren't cutting it. Neil was working at Disneyland at the time, and Ling was a server at a nearby restaurant. Now, like I said earlier, Ling was really a strong woman. She was reliable. She knew what it would take to get good tips as a waitress, and that was being overly friendly and somewhat flirty with patrons of the restaurant. But she did a fabulous job. She knew she wanted more for herself and her family, so she worked really hard and had goals put in place to keep her on the right track. She was quickly seeing that Neil would need to switch career paths in order for them to have the life she was envisioning. Um, it's interesting just because, you know, in all the articles I read and the documentaries I watched, it seems like Ling was very concerned with Neil's job. However, she really, she, I don't know, she really didn't do anything to better herself. I mean, she was working very hard, don't get me wrong, Um but, you know, she made it sound like Neil just had this dead-end job, and I'm not sure what she was really expecting working um, at a restaurant as a server. You know, where was that leading? But, again, this might have had something to do with their cultural differences. Ling maybe was very much a believer in the man should take care of the family, the man should be the successful one, the man should be bringing in the money. So I think that's why she just sort of started, you know, trying to push Neil in the right direction. So... Um, you know, like I said, Neil's job at Disneyland was pretty much a dead end and Ling was going to try to help Neil find something else. Well, in 2006, Ling asked Neil to quit his job at Disney so that he could focus on a more financially rewarding career as an insurance salesman. Now, Ling had been saving her hourly wages she earned at the restaurant to pay for Neil's insurance salesman license. So I guess there was some classes, some licensing he would have to go through. And because uh, Ling was doing so well with her tips at the restaurant, she was actually able, the family was able to live off of Ling's tips so that her hourly wages were either, you know, put into a savings account or invested in something else. And we all know, of course, if you're a server at a restaurant, your hourly wages are not much. I mean, they're probably not even minimum wage, but, you know, that was good that they were able to keep her hourly wages to, you know, put into bettering their lives. Now, I don't really think that Ling anticipated what it would take for Neil to be a successful insurance salesman. Um, you know, to me, that's always been sort of a gimmick. I mean, don't get me wrong, not to say that there's anything wrong with insurance salesmen, but you always hear that, like, you know, you could make this amount, just come and join our team. And that's not like a salary you're going to make or an hourly rate you're going to make. You need to be able to sell insurance policies to make a good amount of money. It's pretty much all done off commission. And, you know, sometimes these it's almost like a pyramid scheme, too, in these insurance deals. So just a, a heads up, people, be aware, um, you know, not all insurance jobs or career paths are going to lead you to buku bucks. You need to be a good salesman. Unfortunately, Neil was not that. You know, Neil was a very smart guy. He was kind-hearted. He just did not have what it took to be a salesman. And, I mean, I hear that. I would not be able to do it. I know that I couldn't be a salesman. He couldn't force someone to buy something he knew they didn't need or want. Now, not to say that he didn't try. He did for several months. He just didn't succeed. So Ling was now the only one in the family who was out making a living. 
Neil was filling in at home as a stay-at-home father. Um, They also received a lot of help with the kids from Jan, Neil's mother. Jan was unfortunately having to help them out financially quite a bit also. And of course, that caused problems in the marriage. You know, what do they say? That's the number one issue in marriages is finances. And so now we have Ling who was, you know, banking on Neil being a a successful insurance salesman. He is no longer making any money at all. She is having to work harder just to pay the bills. And they're also having to borrow in air quotes there because I don't think a lot of money was paid back to his mom. But You know, initially they were just borrowing money from his mom. So, of course, the marriage begins to struggle. Um, What's really unfortunate is they really, really tried hard to hide that. They did not want to portray they were having problems in their marriage. They didn't want people to know that they were having financial problems. So, to the outside world, everything looked perfect. You know, besides Jan... Uh, knowing that they were struggling financially, of course, because she was having to help them out. Everyone else looked at the Williams envious, very envious. They had a nice little home they were living in, two beautiful children. Um, They seemed to have a happy, strong marriage. So, you know, looks can be deceiving. Ling was now working over 40 hours a week to support her husband and their kids. The pressure on Ling was getting to be too much. She began voicing her concerns with her best friend, Melanie. Melanie was soon realizing that Ling and Neil's marriage wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Ling had explained that she was really having a hard time and she was feeling like she was the only one trying to make the marriage work. She had been working long hours, but thankfully, Ling really enjoyed her job. Oftentimes, though, she would have to come home to a mess. Neil wasn't the best with keeping things in order around the house. And after a day of watching the kids, the house would be a disaster. I mean, we all know how that goes. I don't have kids, but I have been over to all of my sister's houses and they have kids. And my gosh, it does not take but a couple minutes for kids to destroy a house. So Neil also was becoming more and more into his video games, which started occupying a lot of his time. Now, when Ling and Neil first began dating, Ling knew that Neil's hobbies included gaming and collectibles. Um, He had actually been collecting Sarah. Oh, that was Samantha, my bird. That was fun. Um, Sorry. Let's get back to it. He had been collecting samurai swords for quite some time and was very into video games, like a big gamer. Ling did not have a problem with that at first. Like in the beginning, everything was fine. It's good for people to have their hobbies. However, his gaming was now taking up majority of his time. More often than not, Jan, Neil's mother, would be watching the kids while Neil was glued to a computer screen. She began expressing to Melanie that she wasn't happy with her life and didn't feel like Neil was helping to make it better. I hear that too. Like, it's one thing. I'm not necessarily a believer in a man has to make all the money. A man has to bring home the bread. A man has to support a woman in the family. I don't believe that, but it's also like, I don't believe that it's okay that a woman is out there working while a man is at home playing video games. Like that to me is a big red flag and you are probably better off on your own if that is the case. Um, I mean, that sounded harsh. It 
it's got to be really bad. Like if he's just putting all of his time into video games instead of doing anything around the house to help you out or anything, you know, to help the children, that's just not good. So Neil was also talking to Mario, Melanie's husband, about his marriage. Mario recalled Neil telling him that his marriage was on the rocks and Ling had been struggling, but he really didn't go into detail. You know, pretty much just like things aren't great right now. Uh, Hope they get better, but that was about it. Mario just wanted to be an ear to listen, you know, just letting Neil know that he was there for him and everything would be okay in time. There was really nothing too obvious to see as an outsider. Neil's mother Jan knew they were having difficulties financially, and now Mario and Melanie knew that the couple's marriage was going to need work, but nobody could have seen what was about to happen. I mean, really, from the outside, this family looked completely ordinary. You know, like most families do struggle financially. Most couples do go through phases, go through hard times, and they express that to the ones that are closest to them. So, you know, nobody really thought it was a huge deal. One day in early 2007, Mario and Melanie said that Ling showed up at their door. She was anxious and clearly on edge, stating that there was something wrong with Neil. She went on to say that he had changed and that she was worried he was going to hurt her and or the kids. The Ramirez's didn't know what to think. They were confused and couldn't understand why Ling would think that Neil would hurt them. For all the years that they knew the Williams, they had never seen a violent side of Neil. Now, the mother does state that, you know, Neil was a very quiet guy. He didn't get angry easily, but that when he did get angry, he had a tendency to snap. Like, you know, if he got to that point, which did not happen very often, he was able to, you know, go over that edge, cross that line um, where he would become a bit out of control. But as far as Mario and Melanie knew, Neil was not like that. There was no reason for Ling to fear Neil. They talked with Ling for a while, mainly trying to calm her down. The couple knew that Ling had been struggling with insomnia. And when she would, you know, when she was able to get a little bit of sleep, she was having very disturbing nightmares. So they believed that she was just having a bad day and needed some rest. Ling returned home. On August 7th of 2007, a call came into 911 dispatch. The call came from the home of the Williamses. Mario and Melanie watched from next door as several police and EMS arrive at their neighbor's home, the home of Ling and Neil. Mario ran over to the home as police were taping it off as a crime scene. Police would only tell Mario that someone had died. No further information was given. Jan then showed up on the scene, completely shocked and horrified to see police taping off her son's home. She begged for answers, but was unable to get any further information. They are left to watch in horror as police, EMS, and investigators enter the home having no idea what had taken place. They can only make assumptions at this point. The Ramirez's believe that someone had broken into the home of the Williamses and someone was attacked. They didn't know who had been hurt. They could only wait patiently, trying to keep the morbid thoughts at bay. It didn't take long for investigators to bring Ling out of the home. She was covered in blood and was visibly shocked, but was alive, trembling as the officers walked her to their squad car. Now, officers could see that Ling did have blood on her, but they didn't notice any visible injuries. 
Ling also stated that she didn't have any injuries, so they took her to the station to see if she could fill them in on what happened inside the home. In the interrogation room, things get really interesting. Ling is clearly in shock, of course. I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly at this time what she saw or what happened, but she's talking to herself in the in the interrogation room saying things like in quotes, she's saying he has to make it. He has to pull through for our kids. As investigators enter the room, Ling seems to collect herself before she expresses how badly she wants to help them. You know, she's still clearly shaken up a bit, um, crying a bit, but just saying that, yes, she wants to help them. She wants to find out what happened, who did this. They just need to know exactly what took place. Well, Ling explains to police that the previous night at around 10 p.m., she had received a call from a friend asking if she would meet her and a few of their other friends at TGI Fridays. Well, Neil had been playing on his computer and the boys were both sleeping, so Ling decided to leave the house for a bit. She said she went to TGI Fridays and she stayed with her friends there for a couple of hours. She left TGI Fridays around midnight and then said that she stopped at a gas station to fill up her car and to get a pack of cigarettes. She is very open with investigators and seemed to be calming down as she talked with them about what happened that night. She said she got home around 12.30 a.m., to which she saw Neil still playing video games. She said both of her boys were already sleeping in their beds, but she did give them both a kiss before she herself went to bed. She fell asleep, but like I said earlier, she was struggling with insomnia, so she didn't sleep very long. She said that at about 4.30, she woke up and couldn't fall back to sleep, so she left the house. Neil and both children were still sleeping when she left. Leaving the house when she couldn't sleep was something that she said was normal. That she, you know, she did struggle with insomnia. When she couldn't sleep, she would get in her car and take off. Usually she would drive to the top of a ridge near her home and watch the sunrise. Well, this time, Ling said that when she left, she left the front door unlocked. Now, in this interview, you can see that she is concerned like she's clearly concerned that leaving the door unlocked was a big mistake and you know it was more so saying that that might have been the problem like if she would have locked the door somebody wouldn't have gotten in there and did whatever they did which you know we're still just we're a bit unclear at this point so you know she just keep, she's like yeah you know I left the door unlocked I shouldn't have left the door unlocked but whatever here is a clip of the interrogation when Ling is explaining what she did when she left the house. And that was about 4 I'm not sure if you guys could hear that very well, but she essentially is just explaining that um, when she got home from TGI Fridays, she did fall asleep for a couple hours, but then got up because of her insomnia. She couldn't fall back asleep. She went to 
leave the house, leaving the door unlocked when she left, uh, got to the ridge, stayed there to watch the sunrise, and then returned back home. I ended the clip when they were getting ready to ask her, or when they were asking her what she found when she got back home. So she sounds, you know, pretty calm, right? Uh, it's got, got her head together. Well, investigators ask her what she found when she arrived back home that morning. Ling pauses for quite a while before becoming visibly sick to her stomach and pulling out a bin from below the table to throw up in. Officers give her a bit of time to collect herself. You know, they, like, they just leave her alone. They don't ask her any questions. It takes her a few moments, but she is able to explain that when she got back from watching the sunrise, she parked her car in front of the home, noticing that the door was shut as she walked inside. She started walking upstairs, and when she reached the top, she saw a grisly scene. Blood was everywhere, covering the floor, covering the walls. She slipped on the top stair and fell into a pool of blood. She said she could see her husband, Neil, laying on the floor. This is when she lost it. She ran back downstairs, slipping in more blood, and left her home screaming for help. Like She just went out into the streets and started yelling for anybody to come help her, um, neighbors, friends, whoever, she just needed help. Now, that was all she could tell investigators at that time. She was still shook up, and she was now concerned with finding out how her husband was and where her children were. Unfortunately, investigators have to reveal what they found in the home. Not only did Neil not survive, both boys, Ian and Devin, were dead. Neil was 27 at the time of his death, Ian was only three years old, one month from his fourth birthday. Devin was only seven. Investigators stated they found the body of Neil upstairs, on the floor surrounded by a pool of blood, which closely matched what Man Ling said she encountered when she got back from her sunrise viewing. They found the bodies of both boys tucked away in their beds. Officers recalled the boys looking very peaceful, just like they were sleeping. There was no obvious sign of trauma on the boys. However, Neil was very visibly assaulted. Investigators still weren't sure exactly what happened. They did still have Ling in the interrogation room. She was beside herself when officers told her that her entire family had been killed. She just kept repeating, no, no, not my boys. No, they can't be dead. Now, you know, again... This is something that you'll probably want to see. I would suggest Googling this, this interrogation of Ling, just because, you know, they do say that everybody reacts differently. You know, people take news sometimes in completely different ways and they react completely different. But this was a bit bizarre. So now, you know, she's upset. She just found out that her whole family had been murdered. So did somebody get into the house after Ling left that morning? She did say that she didn't lock the door. Maybe Ling survived because of her insomnia. If she was in the home, maybe she would have been murdered as well. Was there still a madman loose on the streets in Roland Heights? We will find out. Now, officers were busy investigating the scene as Ling was being talked to at the police station. They were beginning to piece together what happened, and it was extremely disturbing. Denise Bertoni, a coroner's investigator in L.A. County, was called out to the scene. She would have to walk through the crime scene to try to find any clues that may lead to the murderer. 
Upon entering the home, she noticed it was quite messy. Chaotic, I guess one would say. But knowing there were kids in the home, she didn't really consider it unusual. Like we talked about previously, it does not take long for a kid to destroy a home. So as Denise makes her way upstairs, she sees the body of Neil Williams. He has several cuts and stab wounds covering his body. Parts of his fingers had been severed off. Horrifyingly enough, it appeared as though Neil had been killed using his very own samurai sword. It's devastating to think that someone got into their home and killed using a collector's item that belonged to the homeowner and the victim. Denise could tell that the wounds on Neil's hands were defensive wounds. It was clear he was trying to fight off his attacker. She gets to the bedroom of Ian and Devin and finds them tucked away in their bunk beds. Ian on the lower bed and Devin on the top bunk. No signs of obvious injuries. Someone had killed them and then tucked them into their covers very nicely. Why would they murder the children, though? It just wasn't making much sense. And they had no injuries, yet Neil had stab wounds covering his body. Well, authorities then find something suspicious. On Ling's computer, which was sitting open on a desk in the home, had a letter written out on it. It looked as though it was a suicide note typed out by Neil himself. But that didn't make much sense either. There was no way that Neil could have caused all of the injuries that he sustained himself with a samurai sword. It just wasn't physically possible. So maybe the letter was written by somebody else to try to throw officers off track. Well, back in the interrogation room, Ling has some interesting information to tell the officers. She stated that a few days prior to the attack in the home, Neil had confessed to her that he had been having an affair. Uh-oh, we know that's never good. Ling said that she wasn't completely surprised by the confession because she had been noticing some signs, uh, I guess you could say, that Neil was putting off that suggested he might be having an affair. Uh, I guess he had been going out more often uh, he was being a little bit more secretive with her and he would come home smelling like perfume. So, you know, she just sort of put that together and let investigators know that that's what she thought. Well, of course, investigators were going to have to get statements from neighbors, friends, family members. They were going to collect all those statements and see if that sort of jived with what Ling was saying. Well, when officers went to talk to Jan about the incident that happened, of course, and the couple's relationship, she had a different story. She said that Neil was definitely not having an affair, but she believed that Ling may be seeing somebody else. Officers, of course, ask Ling if she had been seeing anybody other than her husband, but she is adamant about being faithful in her marriage. She's, you know, you can see it on the interrogation video. She is like, no, absolutely not. No, I have not been seeing anybody else. All right, so they're like, well, that's just, you know, what can you do with that? You have Ling saying that the man, Neil, who is deceased, was having an affair. And Neil's mother saying, no, Ling was having an affair. So they would just have to do more digging. It doesn't take too long for officers to get the piece of evidence they need that will tell the whole story. Well, maybe not the whole story, but a good part of it. Ling is still in the interrogation room and has been for quite some time. She is exhausted at this point. You can see in the video, I'm not sure exactly how long it had been, but she's just, she's done. She 
She can't really say anything else, doesn't really want to talk anymore. She believes she has told police all that she knows. And, you know, she's clearly cooperating. So she asks if she... So she asks if she can just go home and get some rest, to which the detective replies, I don't think you're going to be going home, Ling. Uh-oh, Ling, Ling, what have you done? Detectives let Ling know that they found a pack of cigarettes in her car that had blood on it. Now, the blood on the pack of cigarettes matched Neil's blood. Ling acted completely clueless when told about the blood and the pack of cigarettes. She just, she was like so confused and couldn't recall what cigarette pack they were talking about. Well, at this point, Ling, your story is shit. She knew it and she didn't know what to say or do to try to redeem herself. She can't though. She says that maybe she should get a lawyer, but she doesn't. She starts spewing to police. Turns out... Ling had been having an affair with an old fling from high school. This man was single and a hard worker. Uh, they found evidence of the affair on Ling's phone and her computer. Now to Ling, that is all that she would need to have the life she always wanted, a single hardworking man. But there were a few things standing in her way, and that included her husband and her kids. So is anybody getting Chris Watt vibes from this? Like, uh, I don't know what is wrong with people, but this reminds me of the Chris Watts case. You know, this the man that she'd been seeing on the side made it very clear to Ling that he wasn't interested in getting involved with a married woman. He was like, you know, I like you, but, <clears throat> excuse me, I like you, but, you know, you're married, you have kids. If you're ever single in the future, hit me up, maybe we can date then. So this was devastating to Ling. She was getting rejected. Samantha, stop. She was getting rejected because of her husband and her kids. And she was like, no, 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 no. We'll take care of that. Trigger warning here. I am going to go into detail about what really happened in the home of Neil and Ling um, that day and night when they were all murdered. According to Ling, her plan was to kill the boys, her two sons, and hope that Neil would find them. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm getting, I got a frog in my throat. Hope that Neil would find them and then he would take his own life because he wouldn't be able to live with the fact that his boys were dead. Which is just a really, really fucked up and twisted way of doing that, I think. Like, I don't know. What's even more twisted is that she went into her son's rooms, her son's room, excuse me, they were both in the same room, before she went out with her friend to TGI Friday. So yes, that really happened. That was a very legitimate part of her story. She had smothered her children and then went out for drinks and dinner with her friends at TGI Friday's. And her friend even said, like, she acted completely normal. There was nothing. She didn't act off. Psychopath. So Ling said that she took a pillow and first covered the face of Ian. <sighs> so Ian was the youngest son on the bottom bunk. After knowing that Ian was gone, dead, she crawled to the top bunk and put the same pillow over Devin's face and murdered him. She then tucked them nicely under their blankets and shut the door to their room. <laughs> that just gives me chills. Now, have, I just, I don't get it. You are a mother. So 
I mean, I've never killed anybody, but I would imagine that if you are smothering somebody with a pillow, they're going, I mean, they're, they're going to wake up, right? At some point, like they're going to struggle. They're going to convulse or something like there's going to be a struggle, right? Like they're not just going to sleep. I don't know. I just like, how the fuck can you do that? And it takes, I think when the judge was talking to her, he said that it took, takes between five to 10 minutes or it can take between five to 10 minutes or something to kill um, suffocate somebody, I think it's closer to like three and a half minutes. Um, but anyways, he said, which is very true, that this woman had ample time to change her mind. Like you sat in there for probably, I would say three to five minutes, smothering one child, killing that child, and then crawling up to the top bunk and s taking another, I would say three to five minutes. Like I said, I think the judge said five to 10, but that's a long time. Um, so you, and then you take that amount of time to smother your other kid before going out to eat with your friends. What the fuck is wrong with you, Manling? Ooh. So now her, her plan was that, she, like I said, she had envisioned Neil finding the bodies of the boys while she was out with her friends, not being able to deal with that. You know, Neil would take his own life and Ling would be able to stage it all as a murder suicide so she this bitch was gonna kill her own sons ho in hopes that her husband would kill himself when he found out and she was going to stage it all as a murder suicide so it would look as though neil murdered his sons and then killed himself like there is a special place in hell for you unfortunately for ling when she got back from tgi friday's you know, having that nice little dinner with the gals, Neil was still fast asleep. He never found the bodies of the boys. Well, Ling decided that she was going to have to resort to plan B. She took the biggest, heaviest samurai sword that belonged to Neil and stabbed him in the chest while he was sleeping. Thinking, you know, in her brain, she was like, I could just stab him once and then still still stage it as a suicide at that point. You know, like he just grabbed his sword and stuck it through his chest. Well, that didn't work out either because that initial stab to Neil didn't kill him. It just probably made him really fucking mad and scared. He jumped out of the bed, shocked that his wife is looking like she's reenacting a scene from goddamn Kill Bill or something. He tries to get away from her, but she continues to swing the sword. In total... Neil had 92 different stab marks and cuts to his body. Um, uh, that's like, that's like minutes, like five minutes, probably. If you, I don't know if that's a long time that you are fucking swinging that sword and trying to kill your husband. Unfortunately, Neil wasn't able to fight anymore and passes away from the injuries he sustained. Ling, after she murders Neil with his samurai sword. She then changes into a new set of clothes, putting the blood-soaked ones in a bag. She leaves the house, just as she claimed because she couldn't sleep, and does drive over to the ridge to watch the sunrise, but not before stopping at a dumpster to ditch her clothes. What a fucking psychopath. So she did. She, like, admits that she still went up to the ridge, smoked her cigarette, watched the sunrise... I wonder if she was thinking, like, this is awesome. Thank God I can move on with my life and do what I want to do. Or if she, you know, was feeling any type of remorse or regret. I don't know. She's a strange cat. 
Manling Sang Williams was charged with three counts of first-degree murder. She could no longer try to defend or justify what she did. Media was going haywire, airing the details of the mother who killed her entire family. A young mother, too. Like, I mean, get a fucking divorce, people. What? Aye, aye, aye. In 2010, 32-year-old Lang stood trial for capital murder. With her very own confession and evidence, including blood evidence and computer evidence showing Ling was having an affair, there was no chance of her getting off with less than a life sentence. She was found guilty on all three counts, but the jury could not reach a decision on a life in prison sentence or a death sentence. A second penalty phase jury was put together, and in 2011, they suggested that Man Ling be sentenced to the death penalty. The judge agreed and stated that Ling was a narcissist and completely selfish, having taken the lives of her children just so that she could live a different lifestyle. Boo! You suck, Ling! Currently, Man Ling sits on death row at Central California Women's Facility. And she is a true piece of shit. Um, she's still, like, she's a really weird person, like I said. She doesn't really you know, apologize or it doesn't seem like she feels bad. So I really think this is a case of a, a true narcissistic sociopath. Um, you know, whatever. I'm not a doctor by any means, but I would say that that is what she might be. Hopefully she's not doing well on death row manling. You suck a dick. Alrighty folks. That is my story for today. I hope you enjoyed it again. I'll put my sources in, excuse me, the show notes here. But yeah, that's all. If you like this story, do you have a case or a story you would like me to cover? Go ahead and shoot me an email at realtwistedsisters at gmail.com. Please go and follow Real Twisted Sisters on Instagram at real.twisted.sisters. And if you would like to become a member, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash realtwistedsisters. That is all. Happy Friday, folks. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.